Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, did you watch the Home Run Derby in the All-Star Game? I sure did. I, I love the Home Run Derby. I, as always, fell asleep during the All-Star Game. <laughs> so did my son. <laughs> but the Home Run Derby was fabulous, and, and Dave Joss, the pitching, the, yes. the coach that pitched to... Uh, <sighs> To, uh, um, what's his name? Alonzo. Uh, Alonzo, thank you. Man, that guy's my hero. He is just <laughs> on it, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I I forgot on the on the East Coast, yeah, you might fall asleep before the end of these kind of things. but Yeah, because uh, to be like the eighth inning, it's like 11, 11, 30. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I made it through both since they finished up around 8.30 or 9 in my time. Yeah. And I, I thought it was just a blast. Um especially the derby that was that was a very good home run derby i think the all-star game itself was probably an average all-star game it maybe felt a little more fun to us because we didn't get one last year Mm -hmm. um but still an enjoyable all-star game an enjoyable week altogether nice to get a little bit of a break from the (laughs) day-to-day monotony of baseball and give us kind of a chance to catch our breath before we get into the stretch run especially for us especially at the site especially with the trade deadline (laughs) right around the corner no, it's true. I mean, there was a general air of positivity at the All-Star game. I thought that was uh, refreshing. Mm-hmm. Now, not to be the, <laughs> not to bring that down or anything, but we really hope we can keep that air of positivity and that the Yankees, Aaron Judge, COVID news doesn't have larger ramifications across the All-Stars, for those who don't know. Right. Judge is one of the Yankees who've tested positive for COVID, and they're having their kind of a team issue there, but it's concerning because Judge was in Denver. And reportedly, he didn't test positive or anything um, during the All-Star Game-specific daily testing. Uh, But we'll have to wait and see if perhaps any other All-Stars were affected by this and if it might reach out to other teams. But hopefully, fingers crossed, we can. (laughs) it's just the one little blip for the Yankees. They can get healthy quickly, and we can all have a full full rest of the season COVID-free from everyone else. Okay. All right, so we we actually don't have... um, we don't have any major, major news yet because the uh, trade deadline is still a couple weeks away, but we are still starting to starting to trickle in some of these deals. We had a couple significant transactions the past week, a couple not-so-significant ones that we'll still cover. We also have a bunch of rumors that are popping up now, a whole bunch of things to get to. It's going to be kind of a variety episode today. Things are percolating! Uh, yes. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to cover, a lot of little things, uh, and and we'll see over the next couple weeks which of it... Uh, turns out to be substantial and which of it doesn't but for now let's let's just jump into everything we got Uh, so let's start with the first real trade of the trade season i would say um of this july trade period is the braves and the cubs made a deal so atlanta acquired outfielder jock peterson from the cubs in exchange for first base prospect bryce ball and as far as the values go we had peterson at two and a half million and then behind the scenes, we had Ball at $3 million in trade value. However, that number hadn't gotten pushed forward to the site for some reason. Um, so I believe on the site we had him listed as $4.9 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those two values, values. Yeah. yeah, those two values of 2.5 and 4.9, uh, those were still, it was still accepted as a minor overpay by the Braves on our model. But of course, if we use the actual values here, 2.5 and 3, it's almost perfect it's it's completely accepted there so it seems like a fair deal uh based on the updated numbers based on what the the system actually says and not just the human error of 
John and I not clicking the update button all the way. <laughs> no, it's totally my fault because I have to go through, you know, it's a manual process just for those of you who don't know. Um, the model is, you know, we care most about the model being accurate. In this case, it was. Um, but I, I think I just forgot to update the, the new number on the site when I was doing mm -hmm. the updates behind the scenes, and that was, that was my bad. Mm -hmm. It happens. <laughs> I catch I catch my own mistakes more often than I'd like to admit <laughs> when mm -hmm. it comes to the update process. There, there's a whole lot of steps to this thing, a whole lot of places we can <laughs> we can screw it up, and we try our best, but every now and then one of these thousands of players will slip through the cracks like this. Um, but, but regardless of, of our own uh, site <laughs> maintenance issues... Um, <laughs> This, this is a very fair deal by the model. Um, the Braves, obviously, a little thin in the outfield after very unfortunately losing Ronald Acuna Jr. for the year for that horrible ACL injury. Um, and it was it was a little bit unclear before this deal whether they were going to still try to contend or not. They're under 500. They're behind the Mets. That whole division's been kind of disappointing this year, but the Mets are, I believe, the only team above 500 in the division, at least at the time of recording here. Um, and... and I guess you could say running away with it, but they're not really killing it either. So it is still kind of wide open there. So there was some speculation, oh, do the Braves sell? Are they going to kind of yeah. tread water here? What's the move? And it looks like at least as of right now, they want to contend, which is, I'd say, a, a, a solid choice there. And the risk here is pretty low. Um, some have already speculated here. If things don't go well the next couple weeks, if Peterson, you know, maybe turns it up in a new a new environment there. He struggled a little bit with the Cubs this season, but if he maybe turns it around in Atlanta and then at the same time, Atlanta, you know, continues to get injured, continues to struggle over these next couple of weeks. Maybe they flip him a little closer to the deadline and try and get some value back out of it. Right. Um, so that, that option is very much available for them. This, this isn't an all in type move that says, yep, Atlanta's buying for sure. They're pushing all their chips in and, and the prospect Bryce ball was having a bit of a rough season himself. Hence the, hence the value downgrade we talked about. Um, right. but it, it, it is at least a point in the direction that the Braves are going to try this thing, at least for a couple weeks here. And they really needed to fill, um, that outfield hole. I believe they're near the bottom of the league in both, uh, left field and center field OPS this season. And that's, and then they lose Acuna who had been playing a lot of right field for them. So a bit of a <laughs> rough situation there and they're hoping Peterson can help kind of fill that gap yeah i mean obviously peterson is a lefty batter who hits righties really well i believe not so much on the hitting lefties well so he's no. mostly a strong side platoon bat um so he's not going to solve all their problems but he'll help a little bit and at least buy some time to your point for the next two weeks and if things go badly they can always flip them to another team and if not okay um maybe they'll go for it so it's kind of a it's kind of a the timing i thought was the most interesting thing here because it kind of gives them that out should should things mm -hmm. turn south mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, uh on that platoon point there um this was really peterson's first season that he was being treated as a everyday player uh he signed with the cubs specifically because he wanted to get more at bats against lefties he wanted to play every day didn't want a platoon and it didn't go too well um i'm pulling up the numbers <laughs> right now uh, so uh, against lefties, did I did I just lie? I think I just lied. Yeah, it looks like he's actually, unless I have a split pulled up wrong here. Uh, yeah, it looks like he has an identical 95 WRC plus versus both lefties and righties, which uh, wasn't what I thought was the case and isn't really ideal. <laughs> um, to but... only for him to only have a 95 <laughs> WRC plus against righties. Yeah, but but as you've often pointed out, I mean. 
yeah. s- split platoons take a long time to kind of normalize. That may be too small a sample size in mm-hmm. the big picture of things. Um, I mean, he is known in the industry as kind of a, a righty masher, not so much on the left side. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that's that's still the prevailing perception. <clears throat> to that point, he has 66 plate appearances this season against lefties. There you go. <laughs> so probably still just a platoon guy, but they have some they have some options there in Atlanta. I know uh, Guillermo Heredia has been randomly kind of good for them as a minor league free agent signing. Um, and he's a right-handed hitter, so maybe there's some sort of a fit there. Uh, but regardless, they needed this thump. Their their lineup was getting pretty ugly even before they lost Acuna. It was very, very top-heavy. Um, and then, of course, losing one of the best young hitters in baseball isn't going to help that much. So <laughs> at the very least, Peterson adds some depth to the lineup. And a guy they think they can count on and that they can flip if they look at yeah. this again in two, three weeks and they say, nah, this isn't happening. <clears throat> right. All right. Let's go on to one with a, a transaction with a little bit less trade implications. Um, the Red Sox finally extended Matt Barnes. I feel like they've been talking about this with him for years now. Uh, there have been rumors every couple months, it seems like, coming from Chris Cotillo, of, <laughs> uh, who covers the Red Sox, um, something about Matt Barnes and an extension. But they finally got it done here. Uh, two-year contract extension for Barnes. He's been very good as their closer this season. Uh, one point I saw made with this extension was that it guarantees his salary for the next two years obviously um he'll be making 7.25 million in 2022 and 7.5 million on, in 2023 as well as an option for 8 million in the third season um so so those uh, with the exception of the option there those two years of salary are guaranteed so regardless of whether he's continues to be their closer as he's been so successful in that role this season, or if they go out and make an addition, say Craig Kimbrell and give Kimbrell the ninth and Barnes shifts into um, a setup type role, he'll at least still have his salary guaranteed. It won't be dictated as it would be through arbitration um, mm-hmm. by, uh, mm-hmm. by saves or anything like that. So he'll have his, his salary locked in here. Um, he's been very good for them especially the last couple seasons, and so it's just a pretty natural fit. He was, he was a guy who would have been a top trade candidate at the deadline if the Red Sox hadn't put on this insane run that they have so far this season. Um, but instead, yeah. it looks like he gets, to, he gets to play out a couple more years in Boston. So this is a total win-win, and often extensions like this are, where you know the player gets paid, but, the, but not so much that it's an overpay and you know so the team gets some surplus value out of it so this extension you know tax on as you mentioned another two years plus an option year and our model really loves this it sees a lot of surplus here so it's really jacked up his his trade value as a result because now we think we're going to assume that the third year option is picked up so now instead of uh, 0.5 or even less, he's now got an additional three years on top of that. So that's a really good deal for the Red Sox, and he's making money, so it's a good deal for him, to to your point. Um, it's locked in, so uh, everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we typically see um, we typically see relievers go for a little bit under, you know, quote-unquote fair value in extensions mm-hmm. like this. Um, and then that's just kind of a factor of being a reliever, being the highest variant, uh, highest variability position on the field. Um, there's, there's just a lot less consistency year to year from relievers than there are from other players. And so they're going to kind of naturally get discounted because of that. That's right. And, and, you know, nobody gives relievers super long-term contracts. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's typically two, maybe three years like this. Um, but the other thing I will note is 
his age. Uh, Matt Barnes is 31 right now, so this covers years 32 through 33 and possibly 34. And actually, you might think that's old, and it is for a position player and to some some extent a starter, but for a reliever, it's not. There's a lot of relievers who kind of the sweet spot is actually their early 30s, mm-hmm. and after 35, they tend to fall off. But this this is still in his in his prime. If for a reliever, I know that sounds weird, but it's true. A lot of mm-hmm. relievers are really good in their early 30s, so they're still buying prime years. That's my Well, point. you figure, the, the logic there you figure is that most, I think it's fair to say that most good relievers are failed starters today, right. at least right. to some extent. Maybe they failed as a starter when they were in AA or something and moved to the bullpen, but they were at least a starter at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of those, they were starters in the big leagues and failed in the big leagues. And Barnes, I don't know if he made any MLB starts. Um, I, I guess I can pull up his page and see. But um, I know he was a former starting pitching prospect. Um, and so you figure, okay, he's being promoted through the minor leagues as a starting pitching prospect with the kind of target of let's get him to the big leagues by this year or by this age or whatever and then he struggles as a starter and it kind of sets him back and then he moves to the bullpen he has to figure out how to pitch out of the bullpen he doesn't really figure out how to be a successful reliever until you know maybe a couple years into his career and so that's kind of the start of his (laughs) relief career if that makes sense so it makes sense that then his peak of his relief career when he's really figured it out when he's adding new pitches and and whatever it figures that that would be a little bit later than it would be for starters or for position players. Yeah, exactly. You know, Nick Anderson is a good example. He was, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't come around until age 29 and he was a rookie at age 29 because he was, you know, struggling as a starter and they finally converted him and then he finally figured it out. So that is a typical pattern, actually, we see. Um, you know, nowadays we're also seeing, you know, young power arms coming up and teams are making decisions earlier you know, Manuel Clase, for example, of Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know, who's just like, okay, he's a reliever because he's got that, that fastball and a slider, yeah. I think it is, you know, and so that's all he's going to be. So that's happening a little bit more, but there's still kind of a, a preponderance, if you will, of guys who are sort of failed starters and peaking in their early 30s. Mm-hmm. And just to fact check here, in 2015, which was Barnes' first full season, he threw nine innings in 2014. But in 2015, he made two starts at the major league level and five in AAA. So I was right. There you go. That's when it happened. All right. Now let's move on to a couple smaller transactions here. The Brewers acquired Kyle Lobstein from the Nationals, left-handed pitcher, in exchange for cash considerations. This is just another depth move here. Uh, We didn't even have Lobstein in the system, right? Right. Right. I'm not going to bother with Kyle Lobstein. I'm sorry, people. Unless he turns into something, he's never turned into something yet. So yep. <laughs> he needs to he needs to force our hand here. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All right, now into one slightly more significant, I guess, because at least he was in the system. Uh, Davy Gruyon, uh, catcher formerly in the Rays system, uh, was traded to the Chicago White Sox in exchange for cash considerations. We have Gruyon at 0.2 million in trade value, so we're estimating the cash in that same neighborhood as well. This is obviously kind of backfilling depth as uh, the White Sox lost Yasmani Grandal to a pretty significant knee injury um, about a week ago. And so they're kind of trying to figure out their catching situation there. Um, they've been using Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala as their current major league tandem. And the, the, the obvious name that kind of comes to mind here is Yermin Mercedes, who was fantastic to start the season, is down in AAA now, isn't really a catcher. He can kind of mm. fake it back there. Mm. And so they're, they're having him do some work in AAA, but at least now Grion gives them an opportunity to, um, 
to have a guy with a real glove as as catching depth as major league catching depth for them um and he does have the tiniest little smidge of upside he used to be a bit of a prospect with the phillies and hasn't really panned out uh clearly he's he's been bouncing around waivers for a while now but yeah some some pretty important depth for the white Sox. yeah i believe he is known as a glove first catcher so mm-hmm. at least there's that and he yeah, yes he's been dfa'd several times now bouncing around from team to team and he never seems to stick um so maybe this is his chance let's hope so for him <clears throat> i have a feeling he'll at least get a few weeks in here while they while they wait for grandal to recover yeah all right and then we had a completion of an earlier uh, transaction the, the the Mariners um, when they traded for Jake Bowers from Cleveland uh, it was for a player to be named later and that player was announced uh, last week and it was right-handed pitching prospect Damon Cassetta Stubbs who actually is a name I've heard before from out of the park <laughs> baseball but yeah. he's also in our system he's actually a not a big prospect but he's a, a bit of a prospect he's, he's got a little bit of value to him i'm pulling it up right now so uh we had bowers at 0.6 million at the time of the trade and cassetta stubbs we have at 0.7 so that's pretty much a perfect deal there um and, and bowers has shown some flashes for seattle um <laughs> hasn't been great but he's he's shown some flashes a little bit of promise maybe um but as we mentioned at the time of that trade he was kind of a roster casualty for uh for Cleveland, and so didn't didn't find a good home there. He's still trying to find his footing in Seattle, and uh, yeah, completion of this trade, the Indians get a nice little potentially reliever down the road for him. There you go. I I, I love this trade for the for the Indians because I think I'm just checking it now, but we're going to talk about roster crunch issues in a little while, and yeah, he's not Rule Five eligible until December 22, so that helps their situation there a little bit in other words they didn't have to force him on the you know it's not the type of prospect that would have to be added to the 40 this year mm-hmm. so that's a big concern of them which i'll mention later so mm-hmm. good deal for them yep <clears throat> okay the angels signed adam eaton who had been cut loose by the white Sox. i, I guess that part's pretty important to uh <laughs> to mention first mm-hmm. uh the white Sox gave up on eaton he's been horrible for them um who could have seen this coming no oh. <laughs> <laughs> um but it they cut him loose. Uh, the Angels signed him to major league contract, and which means they'll pay him the prorated amount of the major league minimum while the White Sox eat the rest of his contract. Um, it's really just the Angels kind of didn't have any major league outfielders left. <laughs> they've been playing infielders in the outfielder in the outfield. They've been piecing things together most of the season here, really, um, especially with the injuries to Trout and Upton. And so he's at least depth at the major league minimum for them. And, you know, it's it's a zero risk move for for the Angels. So here's the thing. You know, when you actually you realize White Sox is paying, you know, his salary with the exception of the prorated minimum. So all the Angels have to do is pay him is basically like 200,000 something in that neighborhood dollars at this point. And according to our model, he's worth a little bit more than that. So they're actually getting a little bit of surplus here because mm-hmm. because of his track record. You know, I know he's not having a great year or anything, and he's kind of you know had his best years are probably behind him. I think that's obvious now. But he might offer a little bit of value, and so I think it's a smart move for the Angels in addition to the fit. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree. Um, do you care to guess how old Adam Eaton is? Well, I happen to know he's 32. Oh, okay. Well, you haven't pulled up. He's 32. Yeah. For some reason, I always think he's, I always think he's either younger or older than that. But I guess he's 
32. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have guessed, if I wasn't looking at it, I would have guessed like 35. But yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like he's been around a long time. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then one last um, official bit of news here. Another <laughs> disappointing corner outfielder here. The Tigers designated Omar Mazara for assignment. Who could have uh, seen that coming? Nobody on <laughs> on planet Earth could have seen that as a as first as a bad trade acquisition by the Chicago White Sox, and then as a <sighs> mediocre signing by the Detroit Tigers. Wow, who could have seen that? Not us. No. <laughs> It seems like it might be time to give up on Omar Mazzara for good. It it seems like we're into minor league contract territory. He'll probably resurface in two years after a hot spring and have a a solid April and then quiet down again or something like that. He might go to Korea. I don't know. But he he seems like he's pretty done at the major league level to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, it it took a while. I mean, for those who don't know, you know, we were low on Mazzara like a year and a half ago in the offseason. Like non-tender low. (laughs) Non-tender low. And and people thought, you know, we got some, some, I don't want to say flack for it, some questions about that. Mm -hmm. But then he was traded for kind of a medium prospect. And to your point, so he flopped with the White Sox and then, you know... Uh, mine, and the Tigers took a chance on it. So basically, we were right. <laughs> we didn't see a whole <laughs> lot of value there, and it's turned out to be true. So mm-hmm. not going to win there. <clears throat> I would have to uh, go back and look at it, but I believe was, was that trade uh, to the White Sox even accepted by our model? It might not have been. I know we... it was for Steel Walker, who was. So, yeah, oh, actually, no. It was it was it was a bit of an overpay at the time, but because uh, mm-hmm. I think we had. I think, you know, probably closer to like six, seven or eight, somewhere in there for Walker at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think we had Mazzara, if, I think at zero. But since then, Walker is, is kind of not been so good. And I think he's been nut down great a little bit. And now he's in the twos or threes. So it's it's getting, so it, it's turned out to be, you know, not as big a, a surprise trade as we first thought. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. That's it for transactions for this week. So now we got a whole boatload of news and rumors and kind of just a just a just a big pot of of nonsense here to get into. <laughs> um, so let's start with Chris Bryant. Um, the Cubs clearly are open for business now uh, after trading Jock Peterson. There, it's not necessarily a fire sale. There's reports that they're going to look into extending Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez before they really heavily go into trades with the two of them. Um, I could I could see them figuring something out with Rizzo, just as an aside. Um, he seems like the one guy that makes some sense to stay there, but I don't know if I don't know if they're gonna find a happy dollar amount uh, with Baez that makes both sides happy, or Bryant for that matter. Um, so they're they're reportedly gonna try and extend those guys first. But Bryant seems like he's just kind of fair game here. They kinda know they're not gonna be able to lock him up. Yeah. Um so there's there's a lot of news here, a lot of swirling here, after, especially after the Peterson trade. Um, the Mets are reportedly interested in Bryant, which makes a lot of sense. The Nationals also could get involved there, which makes sense with kind of an accompanying piece of news here that Starlin Castro, uh, Nationals infielder, was placed on administrative leave due to domestic violence allegations. And so we don't we don't know a whole lot about the situation's specifics, and it's not really our place to comment on that anyway. But they will be without yet another of one of their veteran players for the foreseeable future. And, and speaking of teams that really need depth, the nationals are one of them. They've yeah. really been ravaged. They, they already, they took a team that didn't have much depth and then 
factor in some big injuries and uh, especially to Kyle Schwarber right when he was red hot and now they lose Castro and it's, it, they're just really grasping for, for major league quality pieces at this point. Thank God they um, signed Josh Harrison. He's been right. money for them, right? Now we can right. slot well, him in at third if, if, if nothing else happens. Well, how many <laughs> positions can he play at once, John? <laughs> I don't know. He's a super, he's super Josh Harrison. <laughs> it, it doesn't help that Carter Keboom hasn't done anything. Yeah. <clears throat> Luis Garcia, another one of their top infield prospects also hasn't, done a whole lot hasn't really forced their hand there they've they also brought back Gerardo Parra who's been a a bench bat an okay bench bat because of course he has been um but yeah they they could really use a lot of help here if they are serious about contending this season um so Bryant would make a lot of sense for them to fill it it seems like the Bryant market is predictably opening up and this is kind and it's it's not like either of these teams are new by any means uh, we, we during the off season we discussed both the Mets and the Nationals being connected to Bryant pretty heavily, but uh, this is kind of what we did talk about during the off season that we thought the Cubs might do. They might say, "Hey, there's not really a good match on Bryant right now because he just had an awful 2020 and he's owed all this money. His surplus is pretty low here. We want more than this for him. Let's hang on to him and see what happens here." Well, what happened was. The Cubs threatened for a little bit and then had a massive losing streak and now they're sellers. But Bryant's been fantastic this year. So his value's gone way up while his salary has gone way low. And so that just pushes the surplus up even higher. And so now you got a couple teams that are a little more desperate because it's the deadline. And the Mets and the Nationals are, are fighting for a division there rather than entering a season hoping that they're going to be contenders or something along those lines. So now increased demand increased surplus value it's a it's a good situation for the cubs with bryant yeah so one thing i want to point out is that um there's a floor here and we've estimated the floor at nine million the reason for that is that's the estimated value of the draft pick that uh, they would get if they kept him they don't have to trade him theoretically they could just offer him a qo and then and get the draft pick when he declines it as he surely would now you might think nine is a little bit high and it is because i think it varies from team to team but i think in this case uh, they would get a, a compensation pick after the second round and models show that the second round at the, towards the end of that that's more in the two to three to four range depending on the position Mm-hmm. Um, we're over we're overshooting that mark a little bit because um, what I've noticed is that that is a, is a more sort of common sort of um, number and I think it's because teams really value those draft picks even higher than models might and I think it may be a case of bias like hey we're really good at drafting and we know mm-hmm. if we can pick somebody you know there's upside there and we're going to develop that person because we have a good development you know, staff. So mm-hmm. I really think that, you know, they're looking at sort of the future appreciation curve and they're saying, hey, well, it's not, it's not just, you know, he's worth two or three million now. He's going to be worth 10 in two years. So they're looking at it a little bit more like that. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a, that's something future appreciation that they would be giving up. So my long mm-hmm. story short is we think the floor for Bryant is nine. And then on the other side of the coin is the, the team acquiring him. Um, or a couple other clubs, you know, they would look at the surplus value and say, okay, we've got to pay him his contract and what else is he bringing to the table? And that's a little higher. <clears throat> so he can go anywhere in that range. Um, so, so it's tricky for these QO cases because we have to sort of think, is he going to go like the nine plus the full, you know, um, surplus value or is it somewhere in between? And so for Bryant, we've sort of, I've, 
I can I can say, you know, I think he's going to go close to the top end of the range, maybe not mm-hmm. the full end of the range, but I, to your point, he's got enough suitors that I think he would. So that's sort of the background on how we came to his valuation. Mm-hmm. With somebody and, and... like... Go ahead. Oh, just to, to, to point out why he might go a little closer to the top end of that is I think there will be more teams hopping into these conversations in the next week or two that we might not have tabbed um, as being contenders for Bryant heading into the offseason. And I think a big reason for that is he's shown a lot more defensive versatility this season. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a big talking point during the All-Star Game festivities of asking him, you know, everyone was asking Bryant, you know, those questions that they always ask the pending free agents that might get traded of, oh, do you, do you think you're going to be in Chicago the rest of the year? Or where would you like to end up or whatever? Do, is Chicago going to hold a special place in your heart? They asked all that stuff, but they also asked him some stuff about his positional versatility. And he said, yeah, I've, my favorite position to play is center field. And he's been playing a lot more outfield this season than he has historically. And I believe he's played all three outfield spots, third base and first base. And so maybe his most natural fit is still third base. But if there is a team that, I mean, let's say Atlanta. Let's say Atlanta gets hot these next two weeks instead of getting cold and selling Peterson. But if they get hot and they decide we still need another, I mean, they're maybe not a great example because they do need a third baseman. But no, another third Riley's base. Oh, <clears throat> you're yeah. right. I, I forgot about him. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. But they say, okay, we're still hot. We need another bat and we could use some more outfield help, maybe Bryant is now a fit for them in a way that he wouldn't have been if he was just third base only. Yeah, <clears throat> they could use another outfield bat. Uh, Yays could use another outfield bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of teams that, you know, San Diego's always looking to upgrade somehow, some way. Um, so yeah, he's going to have plenty of suitors. Um, <clears throat> so contrast that with a guy like Javier Baez. Um <sighs> You know, yes, he's got power, and yes, he's got defense, but man, the, that approach in the plate, you know, 36% strikeout rate, 3% walk rate, that's not so great. So we think the floor there is also 9, but it's going to be, we have him at just a hair above that. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I'm not sure there's much of a market for him, I guess, is the point. And, and that approach is really not something that you can necessarily count on, so... I even debate whether they'll even trade Baez, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, and I think I think you mentioned earlier Baez and Rizzo may be extended by the Cubs because they may want to just sort of, you know, uh, keep him around if they can't trade him. So I'm not even sure he will be get, get, get traded because I'm not sure, you know, at that price tag, if the Cubs assume that nine is the floor, if people want to pony that up for a guy who's got such bad, you know, plate discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think there's a real question there. <clears throat> I think there's even a question there to be asked of whether nine should be the floor for him, of whether he is a surefire QO candidate. No, that's true, too. <clears throat> yeah, but that's because, because what we're looking at right now is he, he has a 107 WRC plus, which, OK, uh, seven to 10 percent better than league average with above average defense. That sounds pretty good. But it comes with these massive question marks in regards to his um, his plate discipline. It comes with the highest strikeout of his career by a long shot, um, if we're not counting his rookie season 2014. It comes with a 57 WRC plus in 2020. Yeah. It comes with a lot of question marks there. And so it, I don't know what the best choice is for anybody involved here. It's going to depend a lot on how he performs in the second half. But let's say he does stay in Chicago, 
do is it in their best interest to offer him the qualifying offer is it in his best interest to decline it i'm honestly not sure of of either of those answers yeah i mean right now he's up to 1.9 wins above replacement in 79 games so yeah that makes him a three and a half four win player which is very very valuable and that's pretty closely in line with his best seasons but the 36 percent strikeout rate has got to be concerning for a guy who's 28 now but the whole point of the qualifying offer is if a team signs him to a long-term deal they got to give up the draft pick well what how long are you willing to commit to a guy like Baez when that strikeout rate that you figure as he ages is only going to get worse? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's usually something you can't really fix. That plate discipline mm-hmm. approach is pretty much, you know, that is is what it is. So, yeah, I've got some real skepticism about that, too. So um, and, and just to correct an earlier point, um, we have the probability of the comp pick actually lower than. OK, so 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 the. You know, so the way it works is, if you're 100% sure he's going to get a comp pick, like uh, uh, a QO, like Bryant is, then then the floor is nine. But at each sort of tier below that, you know, if you're 75% sure, you're 50% sure, you just sort of do the math there. And so in his case, it's actually low. It's so you know the assumption here is that there's a long shot that he would get the mm-hmm. QO two two five. So the other part of the valuation is is the field value because mm-hmm. the WRC plus and the, and the WAR that you mentioned uh, kind of combines to so you have a, a comp pick around two and field value around seven that's where we got the nine from okay makes sense okay um but yeah just in general with bias i i don't know what to expect there like yeah like like you said it's he's not the most attractive trade candidate right now for other teams there's not a whole lot of other teams that need an impact shortstop right now i mean and the Reds are in the same division. I'm not sure that's, yeah. that could be a little weird. I mean, yes, you could probably say, okay, go play second because he used to play second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it opens up a little bit, but then in, you're dealing with like second base is not uh, typically a hot market for second baseman in general. Mm-hmm. There's always a discount there. So like, there's a bunch of negatives floating around here. Mm-hmm. It's the Reds, <laughs> it's it's the A's, but then you have the same issues with Story of they're not going to want to take on too much money. They're not going to want to... They don't have a great farm to move from. Plus, he doesn't necessarily fit their profile. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're they they're the on-base percentage team. They're the Moneyball mm-hmm. team. Whatever. Even if that is outdated, they they're probably not going crazy over a guy with a four and a half percent walk rate. Yeah. And then, I mean, you squint and see the Yankees, but that's kind of the same thing. He's just another right-handed power hitter who strikes out all the time. I, we we talked about it with Gallo. He's even more of the same issue for them because he's a right-handed hitter and who knows if the Yankees are even buyers. So it's, I don't see a great landing spot for him. I mean, if you, if you can look past the division stuff, maybe there's a fit somewhere in Milwaukee. They seem to acquire infielders every other week. So, (laughs) but I, I, maybe, maybe the nationals, is there something there? Giants. I can see that. Yeah. The Rays getting weird. Yeah. I, but these are I, all. Like, I don't think the Rays need him. <clears throat> They've got so many in, infielders. I don't think they need him, but I wouldn't put anything past yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the only other thing he has going from the positive side is is star power. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's an attraction for fans, so you can say oh, there's a little bit there. I don't know. So I, he's a, he's a very sort of weird, curious case here. But my gut says he's he may stick with he may just stay with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That, that that's probably the most likely outcome here and then and then we let the second half unfold to see how the qo situation sorts itself out 
Right. Um, one quick aside there. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and link to uh, a new article that Rob Arthur wrote. I think he just posted it today. So I actually haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, Rob Arthur at Baseball Prospectus. But um, in his tweet about the article, <laughs> he it's about um, star starting pitchers and what kind of impact they actually have on fan attendance on the budget. And he it's in his tweet, I believe he said he found that um, a star starting pitcher will bring in two or three thousand more fans and millions <laughs> more dollars from attendance money alone over the course of a season. And so I found that kind of interesting and something along those lines, maybe to a lesser extent, might apply to superstar talents like Baez and Bryant. And I thought it was really interesting because you always hear the whole, oh, they should get this guy and he's going to bring them so much more money and ticket and jersey sales and whatever. And you always kind of question how true that is. But it's it's interesting to see that at least for and again, having not read the article yet, I, I'll link it and I'll go read it myself, but I recommend that you all read it yourselves as well. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that it seems like the data shows that at least for starting pitchers, yeah, there is a very significant impact to the bottom line there that we should maybe take into account. Now, I assume they've done a you know controlled experiment and you know, mm -hmm. Rob Arthur's very good at what he does, so I assume that's in the article. You know, In other words, if you're a buyer and you get a star pitcher, you're probably already generating excitement among the fan base down the stretch. Like, oh, these, is, these teams going for it. They're winning. And so I'm going to come see them more. So there may be an automatic benefit just because they're winning. And then that's the icing on the cake. Oh, they got this star now too. But so I hope I hope those facts are separated. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I'm, I trust Rob Arthur. I'm sure they are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's, uh, that's Bryant slash miscellaneous Cubs discussion. Um, actually, one thing I want to bring up really quick well, before we leave the Cubs behind is Kyle Hendricks. Um, we've seen a lot of a lot of uh, uh, some pushback, I would say, on our valuation of Kyle Hendricks. So do you want to go ahead and explain slash defend that? Oh, you're putting me on the spot, are you? Yes, I am. Okay. I, I've noticed a lot of tweets and I figure what better <laughs> what yeah. better medium to address this. Yeah, well, OK, so <clears throat> here's the thing with Kyle Hendricks. He got off to a horrible start in April and he's on a fixed contract. So keep those two points in mind. Yes. He's been better on the surface since then. And, you know, I saw a tweet that's like, Oh, he's seven and zero with a 2.83. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, but first of all, no one cares about wins, pitcher wins. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, ERA is also not too excellent. If you look kind of, you know, behind the scenes, look at his stat cast pages and stuff, it's not as pretty a pitcher. And if you look at his splits monthly, you know, um, what I was hoping to see, and I'm happy to be proven wrong because we have a negative valuation on him, is like, oh, well, everyone was right. He had a bad April, but he's been really good since then. And if you look at the splits month by month, you'll see that his FIP actually has not been going all that in one direction. It's been bouncing around a bit. Um, his his ex-WOBA, which is a key stat, is still very high, 344 last time I looked. And he was always in the twos before that last three years before that 273 291 297 like clockwork the guy was just on like dave dave joss he's like that you know <laughs> but, <laughs> but um but you know the ugly number there is showing us that that you know the quality of his pitches is not great and ex will even takes into account track record so that's not so good either um keep that in so so that is not a pretty picture um so <clears throat> we have his valuation. There's a little bit of surplus this year, which also creates a little bit of confusion. But going into next year and the year after that, where he's going to make 14 million and then 14 million, and then a buyout, 
it's um, it's not as pretty of a picture as it would have you know you you might think. So we have him at I think negative four something like that. He's gotten better. We had him at negative twelve before that, and then I did a sort of a mid mid month update, and it was it was, it was improving you know, mm-hmm. but he still hasn't crossed the zero threshold yet. So mm-hmm. he's still at negative four, and maybe if he keeps going better and better, and the numbers come get better than he will but at the moment it's negative we're just trusting the numbers in the model here folks that's all we're doing mm-hmm. and it's it's not looking good so good and, and something i've seen a lot with hendrix is oh he's he's a unicorn he's a weird pitcher he's unique the the metrics don't necessarily um reflect like he he won't always adhere to the metrics like mm-hmm. if 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 Fip says he's outperforming yeah yeah, yeah right. that's what i'm trying to get to but for one point to this season, he's outperforming his metrics more than he ever has. Really, it's usually been you know, like you know, let's take let's take 2018 for example. He had a 3.44 ERA, a 3.68 xERA, a 3.78 FIP, a 3.87 xFIP. So yes, he outperformed his his advanced metrics, but just by a little bit. And in 2020, 2.88 ERA, 3.08 xERA, 3.55 FIP, 3.78 xFIP. A little bit more when you get into FIP xFIP, but still just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. This year, he's outperforming both xERA and FIP by over a whole run, and by more than a half run his xFIP. So it, it's more drastic than before. He, he all of his numbers across the board are worse than before, but his ERA is outperforming those metrics even better before. And the other thing that I always think about with a guy like this is he, he reminds me of Matt Cain a little bit. You always heard that Matt Cain, oh, we just don't know how he does it. He's just a weird pitcher. He pitches in San Francisco, whatever. He just always outperforms his peripherals. And yeah, he did until he didn't. <laughs> and he did for a lot of years in a row. And some people started to trust it a little bit. And then he didn't. He, he regressed. He sucked. <laughs> and part of that was, was the aging curve. But in general when when you're given a case like this unless there's some overpowering factor that says like like if hendrix was a knuckleballer i think i'd be more inclined to say right. yep he's <clears throat> just weird the metrics don't know what to do with that i trust his era or something like that i, I trust his performance but he's not quite a knuckleballer and, and so when you really get down to it is there a huge gap between Kyle Hendricks and literally in the same rotation Zach Davies as far as their profiles not saying that their their talents are the same but as far as how accurately FIP XERA XFIP should reflect their performance and, and XWOBA as well it, should they really be handled all that differently they're very similar profiles yeah so I think the safest bet in a case like this, and and I think I'd be fine being burned on a case like this because you're always just safer, you know, trusting trusting the numbers, not getting too subjective here, not cutting corners for every guy that's a little bit different because you know, Tyler, it is Tyler, yes, Tyler. I always screw up the Rogers. Tyler Rogers with the Giants. He's another unicorn type that you figure might outperform his peripherals a little bit, but I, I'm not ready to make that that um commitment yet i'm not ready to say he for sure will or anything like that because he's got a very small sample and he who knows just because he throws funny doesn't always mean they're gonna outperform their peripherals and i think hendrix is the same way there so not saying (laughs) i am a huge kyle hendrix fan and and appreciator and i i love his style of pitching um and i do believe that he can help a team out so i'm not saying by any means that he's bad or that he is bringing negative field value because he's not. It's Absolutely. just that he's yeah. on a significant contract. It's not a an exorbitant contract, but it's significant. 
And so he's got a threshold that he needs to pass, and we're not we're not giving him super special treatment just because he's Kyle Hendricks. We're we're yeah. trusting the numbers. Yeah, personally, I love Kyle Hendricks as well for the reasons you mentioned. Um, he's he's kind of an artist when he's on, and I love mm-hmm. that. But also, his style doesn't give him a whole lot of margin for error. Right. And I and I read a, an article that kind of probed on this. I can't remember who wrote it, but it might have been in the Athletic. Um, that talks about and he was very you know he's a very self-aware guy he knows what he's doing and, and he knows when he's off and he was explaining mm-hmm. like yeah I have not been my best this year I've been off I have not been consistent I have not met the standards that I usually set for myself so even he knows that he's not having a great year despite some of the, the surface numbers um, you know and I also would point out you can't just excuse a month. You know, was, April mm-hmm. was horrible. And you can't just cherry pick and say, oh, let's just omit that. Because it might have been indicative of something. And, and it seems like Hendricks is, was on the top of that. And and, and to my earlier point, his FIP in, in April was 8.37. He got better in May to 3.52. But then he regressed in June again to 4.49. So it's not a linear sort of progression of mm-hmm. improvement. He's up and down and up and down. Which gives you pause, you know, like, okay, uh, he's not at his best. And he even, he even he admits it. So there's definitely been a change there. Um, now, with a guy like him who's a soft tosser, soft tosser, excuse me, you know, he's 31. Now, that may not be as relevant uh, for a guy who's a hard thrower and he starts to lose velocity because he's never had velocity, so it doesn't matter. So he can maybe soft toss until he's 35. Um, but I just want to point out he is 31 as well, so there may be a little mm-hmm. bit of you know, an aging factor here, you know, once you get in your thirties, you get aches and pains and it's hard to recover from, you know, there's things like that that happen to your body. So maybe a little bit of that going on as well. Yeah. That, that was going to be my next point that <clears throat> you're, you're guaranteeing significant money. If you're trading for him, you're guaranteeing significant money for him through at least 2023, which is his aged 33 season. He'll be turning 34 at the end of that season. And then he has a vesting option. If you let that vest, then that's his 34 season. Yeah. So, like you said, this is a guy who doesn't throw hard, but there is a point here where even the best command and junk ballers and artists, if you want to call them, even those best kind of guys, there's a point where if they're just throwing slow enough, it doesn't work anymore. And yeah. to his credit, his his velo hasn't dipped really. It, it was a little higher when he came into the league, but 2017, 85.8, 2018, 86.9, 2019, 86.9, 2020, 87.4, 2021, 87 flat. Yep. So, I mean, he's been pretty consistent. We haven't seen him tail off, but as he ages, you would expect him maybe not to the same degree as a guy who throws upper 90s and now his body's just exhausted as he is 32 and now he can only throw 94. Maybe not to that extent. But he's going to start losing ticks here just because naturally that's what happens when you put more innings on an arm, regardless of how he's throwing close to his max velocity. Uh, It's just that he has a lower max velocity than anyone else. So so it's going to come down a little bit. It's just the question of how much does it come down and at what point if he's averaging 85, is he now hittable? Does his right. artistry kind of fade away and it doesn't matter that he has great off speed and great command because anyone can hit 85? Like, what is that cutoff point? We saw that a little bit. Um, we've seen that from time, from year to year, we see it with a lot of guys. But the one that comes to mind right now, at least, is Mike Fires, where he survived in the lower 90s and then that suddenly he got older he got some had some injuries and suddenly it's high 80s and then he comes back this year and he's throwing mid 80s and he's just getting hammered and then he's hurt again and so that's that happens that's that's the aging curve even with a guy like fires who never threw hard it happened to him yeah and again kyle hendricks much more talented pitcher than mike fires 
It's yeah. just something that you have to be concerned about because pitching is not good for your body, and it's it's going to get harder and harder the older he gets. Yeah, and last point on this, uh, the market is biased towards velocity. It has mm-hmm. been for a while. No, teams will overpay for high 90s guys. They will not overpay for 80s guys. Um, mm-hmm. Alex Claudio has been an effective pitcher. And, you know, granted, he's a reliever, but he throws 85. He gets away with it. He's a little tricky, um, but there's never been much of a market for him. If you look at the numbers, you're like, oh, there's surplus here. Uh, but he's never been you know, of much interest to the market uh, for some reason because he's a soft tosser. And so you got to factor that a little bit too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. That was... That's, I, I was glad we, we got to cover that today because yeah. I've been, like I said, I've been seeing a lot about it. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Byron Buxton? <laughs> yeah, so the Twins are uh, uh, reportedly in negotiations to try to extend him. Um, but the kicker here, there was a point that was made that um, if they don't extend him, they would trade him. Now, I'm not sure how reliable that is, but it's uh, creating some interest because... People are thinking, oh, Byron Buxton may be on the market. He's got a year and a half, well, not quite a half, but a little over a year of control left. Obviously, the big knock on him is, you know, he can't stay healthy. Um, now, some of those injuries that he's had are fluky. Some are not. Uh, the latest one is a hip injury, I believe, and that's not fluky. Um, so you got to wonder. So that's why we have, you know, you might think, oh, man, he's a superstar, or at least potentially a superstar, and he should be higher. Well, he's not because he's always injured. So you, anybody who might be considering trading for him has got to think about that. It's not exactly a reliable, you know, uh, athlete that you're getting here. You're getting a guy who's always on the IL. So you're not going to pay a whole lot for him if he does become available. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, that um, – and the Twins may – I'm sure they know this, and one of the reasons they may want to extend him – is because they may not see much of a market for him and they're sort of buying low, you know, mm-hmm. at this point. So they might see more value in keeping him and then hopefully they get some prime years out of him still when he's healthy um, at a reduced market rate. Maybe that's the better play, way to go rather than just get mm-hmm. rid of him. And I just want to make very clear here up front, and I'm sure you know this already, but mostly making it clear to listeners um, that it's not if they can't extend him, they're trading him this month. Mm-hmm. They could. They could choose to trade him this month. I mean, he's still healing from a uh, broken hand. But um, all that, uh, what Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, who, who reported about the, negoci- the extension negotiations, what he said was that if they can't get a deal done, they will look to trade him either this month or in the off season, or presumably it could linger into next July. But uh, with a guy like this and his proclivity to injury you don't necessarily want to gamble by holding him onto your roster even longer if you've already decided you're moving on from him yeah. so uh, so it's, it's a very it's another tricky situation here um I, I guess it's sort of similar to Baez, but just for injury reasons rather than performance because he's he, buxton has performed like a star the last mm-hmm. few years mm-hmm. it, it's been kind of weird performance it's been spotty because he gets to perform like a star for a month and then he's hurt for a month and then he comes back for a month and then he's doing something different. And <laughs> so it's a bit weird and it comes with a background of struggles. And so maybe you can't entirely trust that he's just an immediate ready-made superstar as long as he's on the field, but he's shown that the talent is there. The capacity is there and what he's, I mean, what he did last season was extremely productive. If he can be, the last two seasons, 2019-2020, he had a 111 WRC plus and a 118 WRC plus. If he can do anything close to that with his level of defense in center field, yeah, he's a star. 
just, just look at his 2017. He had a 92 WRC plus, and he was worth almost four wins above replacement. That's just how good he is out there. But the caveat there is how good he is out there means he's throwing himself at walls and diving, and, and it's the Kevin Kiermeyer. It's the it's that general athletic center fielder issue of they have high value because they're such a good defender, and if they hit even a little bit, they're a great player. But they kind of lower their own value by how all out they go out there and how often they injure themselves in the outfield. Yeah. And to be fair to Buxton, he's had a lot of weird fluke stuff too. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. the, the fractured hand. He got back from a larger injury. I believe it was hamstring. Um, he got back from it and he was back for about two days in the big leagues before he got hit by a pitch and broke his hand. And like, that's, that's not his fault. That's not him being injury prone. That's just a fluke accident, but it just kind of adds to the resume there. Yeah, which is not good. The last time he played a f- something even close to a full season was 2017, <laughs> I think you mentioned. And and that was the only one of his entire career. Mm-hmm. You know, look like at the numbers. 2015, 46 games. 2016, 92 games. 2018, 28 games. 2019, 87 games. Half a, well, over half a season. Granted, last year was a you know, shortened season, but he only played 39 games there. So yeah. 27 he, is even in a 60-game season, he couldn't get yeah. all the way up to 60. Yeah, yeah. So he's never really played a full season, and he only once even come close to it in his entire career. So it's even, teams will look at that and say, uh, you know, I'm not overpaying for that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think the best fit here probably is for him to agree to something in Minnesota um, for both sides, it seems like. I mean, if he's really confident yeah. in himself, yeah. he can he can take that gamble. Yeah. But I don't I don't know if there's another team, whether in a trade or once he hits free agency, that's going to be willing to take that kind of risk. I think the Twins can take some level of risk because they're familiar with him. He's their guy and they've trusted him since they drafted him second overall. But I, it's going to be a lesser financial risk because, like you said, they're buying low kind of. Um, and so maybe they're the only team that's really prepared to give him nine figures right now. And I, I don't know what his free agency would look like. I don't know what his trade market would look like. I think uh, I think that might just be his best fit. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, he's got a little over a year of, mm-hmm. of, um, of control left. So it's not like it's super urgent now to circle back to your other point. They could trade him this off, this uh, deadline, but probably not because he's been on the IL. So yeah. it's more likely, I think, they try to extend him. If that doesn't work out, it's mostly, a, a, I think, a decision in the offseason. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I know there were a few other rumors that you wanted to cover that I do not currently have pulled up. Would you? <clears throat> is there somewhere you want to start? Yeah, uh, this is kind of a significant one. I saw a tweet um, from an MLB insider. I can't remember his name. Mike Hawk, I think it was, um, that said the Yankees are talking to the Rangers about Joey Gallo. Um, mm. The ask from the Texas side was Austin Wells, Kevin O'Contra, and either... Oswald Peraza or David Garcia. Um, if we plug those into our numbers, you get a very close deal. Um, I think we have Gallo at 38 or something like that. Um, Peraza is actually more valued than David Garcia, who's had a bit of a questionable year. Uh, but there's, um, there's seems like that's not an unreasonable ask at all from the Texas perspective. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's just a rumor and who knows how it will turn out if it turns out at all. But so what I mentioned that is, Hey, that's interesting. And yeah, they're in the, they're in the ballpark in terms of valuation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we've, we've spoken at length about Gallo to the Yankees um, on previous episodes. So we don't necessarily need to get too into it here. Uh, but kind of our conclusion there was, you know, from a 
from just a pure roster perspective and and balancing the lineup and getting some more power and all that it makes a lot of sense and he he has a year and a half of team control and he's a good defender and he's a lefty bat that they need but from from the way he kind of fits into that lineup a little when you look a little more closely of being another high strikeout power hitter um, he's maybe not the most attractive fit to Yankees fans at least yeah <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't know how much the front office cares about that uh, because regardless of how much he strikes out his what his value is his value like yeah it, it's not like it, that's already baked into his war numbers baked into his yeah. Uh, ex-woba numbers anything like that the, the strikeouts are a thing we all know about them and he's still valuable despite them but fans don't like to see it and and yankees fans especially are getting sick of it of striking out with a runner on third and less than two outs or whatever <coughs> I, i've seen it on i've seen it on my twitter timeline from the west coast so i can only imagine what you're seeing john but, yeah. and hearing i guess but uh, it, it remains to be seen how much uh cashman will actually take that into account yeah, I I suspect not so much. I think it's mostly a fan thing um, mm-hmm. because I think they value production. But but look, there's still an obvious uh, question about whether the Yankees are even going to be buyers, uh, yeah. especially after the news that um, they've been hit by the COVID issue and now mm-hmm. they're going to be down some some key players, including Aaron Judge. So you know, on the one hand, you think okay, that makes it more important that they get reinforcements. On the other hand, you think that 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 could be that could be the death knell for their, you know, disappointing season. So they may just want to wait a bit on this. Um, and it's, you know, we still got two weeks till the deadline. So we'll see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I off base here? Does, does it feel like there are more bubble teams this season than maybe usually? There are, um, I think more so in the national league than the AL. If you take mm-hmm. a kind of hard look at the AL, you see, there's a kind of a gap. Um, yeah. it looks like the Red Sox and the White Sox are cruising, Houston seems like a lock, you know, and then, <clears throat> and you know, Oakland has still got it in a pretty good position for a wild card. Um, and the Rays as well. Rays as well. Actually, you know what? I, I'm going to take that back, actually, because AL, when you get to that fifth wild card, there is some, there is some like movement there. It could be the mm-hmm. Rays, could be the Yankees, could be the Indians, you know, even the Mariners are a little the Mariners the Angels. Are the Angels. Yeah, Cleveland yeah, so, is so in there too. So I take that back. Yeah. There is some some movement. There is some bubble. There are definitely some bubble teams when you look at the fourth of wild card, uh, the fourth fifth spot. So in the Nationals, what I want to say in the National League, I think it's pretty clear now that the Giants are not a fluke. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Dodgers and Padres seem like locks. Um, Mets, I wouldn't say they're cruising, but you know, it looks like there's a high probability there. Um, you know, and the Brewers are in a good spot. So, like, okay, who's next? But the, then the, the entire, it feels like the entire rest of the NL Central and NL East are kind of yeah. marks. I yeah, mean, you, but know, you know the Pirates of... aren't doing anything. No, but, like, but... Cardinals, the, the Cubs. Cardinals, the Cubs have decided they're selling, but they're kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So, so those guys, those teams, I think, are all, like, in the high single-digit probability range. So mm-hmm. there's, you know. So, okay, we've just answered your question. There are a lot of bubble teams. <laughs> and so so now the, there's... the question of buyers and sellers is still not clear yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, there's there's two ways to look at that situation. It's either, okay, there's a whole lot of these bubble teams. Don't expect a whole lot of activity until we get really close to the deadline, like even more so than in a normal year, because a lot of these teams are going to say, I want these two weeks of games to figure out what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is... Maybe being an aggressive seller, if you're one of those bubble teams, 
I guess that's maybe what we're seeing the Cubs do. Being an aggressive seller might have some some right. benefits there. Right. You might be able to capitalize by being more aggressive there and not waiting around. Maybe a team is willing to pay for those extra two weeks of a guy, and you can get that deal done today rather than on the that's 30th. Right. That's right. When you have you know more buyers and less sellers, you have higher demand and less, less supply. Mm-hmm. So that's pure economics. You know, I think you can the, take advantage of that. The obvious <laughs> caveat being that the the buyers know as well that there's all these bubble teams and that if they wait until the 30th there will be more sellers yeah Um, but i think it works well i think uh, going back to the jock peterson trade i think that makes a lot of sense because the braves are kind of a bubble team too Mm -hmm. and so they're a team that could really benefit from those extra two weeks of jock peterson whether it's using him to kind of see if um if they are going to be contenders or not and then as we mentioned having that kind of that out if they do need to trade him um, on the 30th, if they're going to trade him again, or if you look at it and say they're what four games back, I believe I'm, I'm pulling that number out of thin air. I might be wrong on that, but there are a few games back of the Mets. Every game counts the rest of the stretch. They need these extra two weeks of this, mm-hmm. this, uh, offensive improvement here. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe <laughs> bubble teams selling to other bubble teams, <laughs> I guess that's my prediction for the next couple of weeks. I don't know. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to put too much behind that, but I, I, I think it, we could see it for sure. Yeah. And I also think that that's, and there's a feeling that trade activity has been delayed a little bit this year. And that's one reason why the other reason I think is just because of the schedule. And we had the draft most of the front office folks were focused on that. And that was just a couple mm-hmm. of days ago, the all-star game, and, you know, there were marketing reasons for that, but it's really kind of squeezed the whole time. Like now things are really getting intense with, I think conversations and negotiations most likely, but you know, we've only got it squeezed into a two month period here. Usually in previous years, it was, you know, the long, the ramp was a little bit longer and now we've got a shorter mm-hmm. ramp. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, also, yes, I was correct. As of recording, the Braves are four games back in the Mets. <laughs> There you go. That's not unsurmountable at all. Yeah. But <laughs> what I didn't know is that the Phillies are a half game above. So the Phillies are only three and a half back of the Mets. But that's that's another yeah. prime bubble team. They're at exactly 500, but only three and a half back. Probably not in the wild card race because you figure at least yeah. one, if not both of those, are coming from the NL West. Mm-hmm. So it's it's there's going to be some tough decisions. In the National League especially, I think you were right there. But then in that kind of AL wild card clump as well. Yeah. So... <clears throat> do you have more rumors more news for today or would we should we um, head into the trades of the week um just two real quick um okay reportedly the astros are looking for more starting pitching help so keep an eye on that um the mets are as well they've been linked to tyler anderson of the pirates who's you know back end starter type fourth or fifth mm-hmm. guy um nothing and that's that's more of what the Mets mets kind of need anyway i mean when you start your rotation with jacob Degrom. Not that you're going to turn down another frontline guy, not that you're going to turn down a Max Scherzer if he falls in your lap, but you don't really have that kind of pressure that a lot of teams need to add. Yeah, with, with Taiwan Walker pitching so well and Stroman being Stroman, solid. Yeah. Right, you've got and, a and, solid top three. And they're hoping Syndergaard <laughs> can come back and right. do something. So. Exactly. So that's that's kind of a, a hidden hidden sort of acquisition there, That mm-hmm. uh, assuming he comes back close to, and usually there's a ramp after TG, yeah. TJ, but, but you know maybe he'll, he'll practice value anyway um and and last point on the rumor you know it's it's somewhat amusing but you know bill schmidt rocky's gm interim gm rather um says oh we don't want to be a you know he's he's sending indications publicly at least that they may not trade trevor story they may just hang on to him like (laughs) 
okay. <laughs> the most obvious trade candidate, but okay, you do you, Rockies. <laughs> you know, for most other teams, it would feel like posturing, but yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past the Rockies to have no idea what they're doing. And at this point, for to, to little fault of their own, given as we've discussed in the past, their front office situation and. Yeah. how how extenuated it was by the draft being this week and and yeah i wouldn't i don't blame them directly if they don't know what they're doing right now it's more of just the the fallout of the previous regime i guess you could call it it's still kind of the current regime but yeah Breidich and monfort being not the best at their jobs um, and you know and to be fair there is a question about stories market because we, as we noted earlier when we we're talking about mm-hmm. bias you know the shortstop market's kind of slim to none you know if you mm-hmm. don't t- trade for the reds and i'm not sure the reds want to give up that much or take on a whole lot of salary so they may be looking at they might have like you know put out some feelers and didn't get much back and so they might be just like either frustrated or saying you know okay we're gonna hold out for more which is you know the more rational take so yeah yeah okay. yeah they're not saying <laughs> they're not saying we're gonna hang on to story because our internal projections say we're gonna win 96 games still <laughs> they're saying if we don't get an offer we like, we'll hang on to them and take the qualifying offer, which basically right. every team says about every rental. Exactly. Um, it's just maybe there's a little bit more truth to it this time. Yeah. So again, with him, the floor is nine. So anything above that, you, you would think would be attractive to them. But who mm-hmm. knows if they get it? Mm-hmm. All right. Trade of the week time. Yep. Okay. We got two here for, with some with some guys we've been discussing. Both Cubs deals. Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with the Mets Cubs deal since we were just talking about the Mets a second ago, um, and we were just talking about Chris Bryant a few minutes ago. And yeah, here's another proposal here. So this is from user Michael. I I appreciate the creativity, Mike. <laughs> um, and it would send Chris Bryant, who we have at 15.1 million in medium trade value, to the Cubs or excuse me to the Mets in exchange for three prospects. It is infielder Mark Vientos at 9.3 million in trade value. Infielder Jaden Palmer at 2.4 million, and right-handed pitcher JT Ginn at 4.9 million. So comes out to 15.1 Bryant to the Mets, 16.6 of that prospect package to the Cubs, and we have, as far as user um, appreciation goes, we have the Mets with 43 thumbs up, 28 thumbs down, the Cubs with 36 up, 19 down. I think this is a realistic trade. Is I. I I featured this because, and thank you, Michael. Uh, that I think it's um, I think it's in the ballpark of what we might see. Uh, the Cubs are looking for prospects, obviously. Um, rumors are flying that you know, oh, maybe JD Davis could be part of the package. I'm not sure the Cubs would want JD Davis though because mm-hmm. he doesn't fit their timeline. They got to rebuild. Um, but the Mets may or may not want to stay under the luxury tax. There's been debate about that as well. Um, Steve Cohen, the owner, said, uh, we're going to blow by the luxury tax limit. Just go ahead and blow by it because you don't want to be over by a million or two. Just go for it. So in this case, that's what's happening is the Mets would be taking on Bryant and his salary. And, you know, okay, forget the luxury tax. And the Cubs would be getting three interesting prospects. Um, And these are also, by the way, the Mets have have been adamant, publicly at least, saying they don't want to trade. A uh, whole lot of prospect value. They, what they mean mm-hmm. is they don't want to trade Francisco Alvarez, probably not Ronnie Mauricio, like the top yeah. guys. Yeah. These are sort of the middle-ish guys. Vientos mm-hmm. seems like um, somebody that that gets rumored a lot. Um, yeah, he's he, pretty blocked there. 
Yeah, and, he, and he's doing well. Um, mm-hmm. Ginn has more upside. He came off of uh, Tommy John surgery, and he's just mm-hmm. getting back into form. And Palmer is a little bit interesting. So I, this is kind of a nice package of upside for the Cubs, and I think it makes both sense for both teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate this at all. I mean, this 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 looks like the type of deal that you know the the average Twitter user would <laughs> clown on the Cubs for and say, oh, you gave mm-hmm. Brian away for pennies. This is like the Arenado deal because they don't know what's going on. <laughs> but as far as a value perspective and like how the real world works i i like this a lot yeah it makes a lot of sense here i mean you can quibble about um maybe some of the specifics with the prospects and kind of the cubs timeline and maybe there's names the cubs would prefer we saw them targeting some really really young prospects in in the u darvish deal um ball wasn't quite along those lines in the peterson deal but i mean that's also a lower profile deal maybe they have less options there they kind of just took the, the upside the talent they could get and, they, mm-hmm. and ball has big power upside, um, but I, I, yeah, I think this is really a decent fit for them. I mean, Vientos is pretty close to the big leagues, and as you mentioned, Ginn has all kinds of upside as a starter. It's not hard to picture him breaking out as a mid to front line guy. Obviously, a ton of risk there as well, reliever risk, injury risk, all of that. But he's got a lot of talent there, and maybe and, and that's that's mostly what you're looking for in a return for a Chris Bryant type, especially as a rental. You're not necessarily, you don't want to piece it together with a bunch of 2 million guys that all profile as future bench pieces. Yeah. You want some kind of upside, somebody who might realistically replace him. And so, yeah, I think that's part of why this feels so realistic is there's kind of a model there of, you know, the, the headliner and an interesting second piece and then like a lottery ticket third piece. Yeah, exactly. And it's especially interesting when one of the pieces plays the same position as the guy you're trading and he's close to the bigs and that's Vientos. And you could be like, Oh, he could slot in and replace Bryant next season or something mm-hmm. like that. And then you're mm-hmm. still hoping on, on Ginn. It, it, it feels like a lot of trades that have happened recently. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I think that's where that's part of where you're getting at by saying it feels realistic. Yeah. You nailed it. So yeah, I like that one. Um, I could definitely see it, and I, I think it is a good decision by the Mets, given what we just discussed with how strong their rotation is right now, to target more of the Tyler Anderson types for their rotation, and if they're going to spend medium prospect value, spend it on the offense. Mm-hmm. Okay, now going back to the Cubs' perspective, let's talk to talk about our second trade of the week. This is from user Benjo. This would have... Uh, I almost called, I do this every time, I almost called him Kyle Davies. <laughs> <laughs> so to have Zach Davies, who we have at negative 1.3 million in median trade value, starting pitcher, as well as $4 million in cash headed to the Atlanta Braves, so another deal between these two clubs, in exchange for right-handed pitcher Kyle Wright. And so, uh, and we have Wright at 2.7, so both these, both sides of this deal are exactly 2.7. Uh, as far as users go, for the Braves, we have 15 thumbs up, 6 thumbs down. For the Cubs, 13 up, 6 down. So, again, seems pretty widely appreciated there. And I can see why. I mean, the Braves are really in plug holes mode at this point. Yeah. I don't think they're confident enough in their future to move significant assets for, I don't know, a Buxton or another big mm-hmm. name like that, a Scherzer or a whoever else is available they're not going to move for the top of that market unless they have a crazy two weeks here and pull ahead of the Mets but while they're still kind of uncertain they're probably gonna you know stick in this middle tier more of the rental types that's that's with a guy like Peterson a guy like Davies fits the mold as well and just kind of plug some of these holes and see what happens 
Um, and, and all it's costing them is Kyle Wright, who, you know, former first round pick, big prospect, really hasn't gotten anything done. That's why his value is all the way down to 2.7. Um, it, it, it seemed they had this big glut of pitching and everyone freaked out about how great um, the pitching in Atlanta's farm system was. And to their credit, yeah, I mean, Max Fried, Mike Soroka, Ian Anderson, very talented starters right there that they developed themselves. But a lot of that glut did bust out because that's what happens to pitching. And it really looks like Wright might be a part of that. Yeah. But he could also be a change of scenery candidate. <clears throat> He's still got plenty of upside and it's not a bad, you know, the, the Cubs are buying that upside by eating a chunk of Davies's contract, and that's not the most <laughs> unrealistic idea in the world. Now, the the one slight caveat here is we have Davies as owed 3.6 million down the stretch, and so it's probably not likely that the I don't know if the Cubs are even allowed to send more money than no, the player is owed. But that's it's also a good point. yeah, I, I believe it's also a factor of um, the cash functionality on our site. Uh, no, you we, can do you can do decimals oh, now. We, we did update it for decimals. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, we did. Okay, well, so that's a fair maybe point. The, maybe the user didn't know that, but regardless, yeah. even if you dial it back to three point six, or even if you dial it back to three point three, and say, oh, the Braves need to pay the league minimum still, yeah, um, the prorated league minimum. Even if you do that, the values are still pretty pretty close yeah. here, and, and it's, and it's within reason. Exactly. So, in you know, worst case scenario, you you throw a lottery ticket in there to even it out so mm -hmm. yeah i think i agree with you i think it makes sense for all those reasons um you know the cubs certainly at this point don't need zach davies so you might as well just cash him in for whatever you can get if you can get a former first round prospect who's been a real disappointment but maybe change of scenery uh, maybe you can work some magic um you know with your development staff i mean turn him into something I, mean, I think he definitely needs a change of scenery at this point so it makes sense from that point of view and the braves just need an arm so i i, I like it both ways mm -hmm. all right so those are our two trades of the week um these are actually, I mean, it, it kind of comes with the territory that we're getting closer to the deadline. Things are kind of shaping out. The values are closer to what they'll be at the deadline. Uh, but these both felt like two of our most realistic trades of the week. Um, we've probably had all season. So thanks a lot to Michael and to Benjo for those. Mm -hmm. um, so now we have just a few more kind of scattered topics that we want to hit on that aren't necessarily rumors, aren't necessarily um, news. They're kind of more site-wide news, um, kind of valuation adjustments, things like that. Um, we have a list here, uh, values of the top trade chips, some of the rule five adjustments we've made. Uh, we did already talk a little bit about kind of the clarity of, of buyers and sellers and all those bubble teams and how it's gonna, we're, we're still not super clear on most of those teams, to be honest. Um, and then you also had some notes on the Padres. Is there is there somewhere you wanna start here? Um, I'm gonna start with the, uh... The rule five, and, I, and here's why. Um, I think it could be a factor in this in this deadline. Um, so um, I did some more updates, um, uh, you know, looking at each team's farm system and who might be rule five eligible uh, this December, December 21. And what I found was a whole bunch of them. And I think that some, for some reason, you know, I think this is a, unfortunately a, a carryover factor of yeah. last season in the COVID because a lot of minor leaguers didn't get to play. And so it, it 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 pushed a lot of guys into this into this category of oh well they didn't play and then they're still developing and now they're rule five eligible. Um, assuming that rule doesn't change and they don't give any concessions for that, it's creating it's going to create a roster crunch for for some key teams. 
uh, Cleveland is is an example, and some of our Cleveland fans on the side have pointed this out. There is a real severe roster crunch. They got a whole bunch of guys, both at the top end of their prospect list, medium, low, across the board. There's got a so they in order to protect these guys, they've got to add them to the 40-man roster. So the implication of that is they can't take on anybody who might be added to the 40 unless you know unless they give up. You know they're more likely to give up guys to relieve that pressure rather than take it in. Tampa Bay is in a similar position. They've been hoarding prospects for years and they do a great job of it, but they've got roster crunch issues as well. And so this could be a factor here in the deadline. They might be more willing to give away some, not give away, but, you know, undersell them a little bit because they need to clear some roster space. Um, and so for that reason, we've, you know, we typically dock anybody who is coming up on uh, on the Rule 5 deadline, at least at the lower levels. I know at the mm-hmm. higher levels, you can't assume that they might want to protect them. They're probably likely to be added because teams are not in the business of losing value, losing a guy who's worth 10 or 12 for nothing. So they're probably going to yeah. protect that guy, you know, but the guys down in the onesie twosie range are probably going to be left unprotected. So a guy who's maybe on the bubble of that, like two and a half, is probably going to be under two in our model uh, because of that he's probably not going to get protected so and there's a lot of those types of guys especially pitchers so that means the rule five draft this this winter is going to be populated with a whole bunch of talented guys who are left unprotected unless they were traded so and to the earlier point about buyers and sellers you know there's only so much pittsburgh can intake there's only so much baltimore (laughs) can intake right and it depends on what's going out but if you think about it you know um Pittsburgh could get a better deal for an Adam Frazier because, you know, some of these guys are going to be on sale for a discount. Like, oh, I just need to add this guy to my 40. I can do that. And he's, you know, he's pretty good. So they could get some interesting talent. If you look at the package, they may be savvy about this and say, oh, that guy needed to be out of the 40s. I'm going to pick him up. Stranger things have happened in the past. The A's picked up Ramon Laureano several years ago because mm-hmm. he was a potential roster crunch victim, and they got him for a steal. So, you know, this is a bargain hunting opportunity, in a way, for the Pittsburghs and Baltimores or whoever else is a is a is a seller, to kind of get some good talent at a discount. And it's an opportunity for, you know, uh, if assuming Cleveland and, and Tampa do want to make some deals, you know, and other teams like that that have a lot of these types of guys, you know they need to clear some space. So watch this space very carefully. I, as I did it, I thought, man, there's a lot, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues here. And then one last point on this, um, because the draft just happened, it's putting upward pressure on the system as well. You got to fit in. They just have, each team just had 20 draft picks. Maybe mm-hmm. not all of them are going to be, you know, but, but several of these guys are going to go into low a and maybe even a little bit higher depending on where they were drafted. And so it's going to put pressure on those rosters and they're going to be releasing a lot of guys or having to fit the guys above them. On the, so it's, 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 it's adding still further pressure to each system. So there's going to be a lot of movement, I think, because of those reasons. Mm-hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense, especially as you mentioned, <clears throat> a whole year of development lost for a lot of guys. And a lot of guys are either, you know, that might've, let's say you had a, a prospect in a ball that wasn't going to be, wasn't or that wasn't going to be rule five eligible until the 2021 2022 off season so this upcoming off season and so he was in a ball in 2019 he maybe didn't have the best season and now in 2020 there's no minor league season he probably would have repeated a ball so now you get to 2021 and the guy's 22 years old are you going to send him down to a ball again are you going to promote him even though he hasn't really you know gotten the development that you wanted him to so it led to all these tough decisions and as kind of the trickle down there i bet you have a lot of those interesting guys where you know the scouting report says 
this, but the performance doesn't reflect that, and they've kind of been jockeyed around because of the, the pandemic season, and maybe they're not at the right level that they should be at right now, so they're struggling or they're overperforming in low A as a 22-year-old or whatever the case may be. It just kind of threw everything out of whack. Yeah. And that, that, that definitely makes sense, especially a team like Cleveland would probably be my first thought there, uh, probably Cleveland and the Padres, but the Padres always have, <laughs> they have a constant 40-man churn, 40-man struggles because they have mm-hmm. such a deep farm system. The, the Cleveland's thing was that they had a deep farm system, but it was deep in youth. And so now all of those really, really young, especially international signees and, and draft picks and everything, all those internet, the, the young talent that they have is all at once becoming Rule 5 eligible. And whereas with a full... T- minor league season in 2020 they might have been able to weed through some of those guys instead it's just kind of a whole slop of guys that you don't know and you know just to be safe you should probably protect them but you only have at most 15 spots or no not even 15 anymore 14 spots that aren't on your major league roster so and and you want at least five or six of those guys to be in triple a so that you're they're kind of your optionable depth right and so that that only leaves you know maybe 10 or fewer prospects pure prospects in the lower minors that you can cover and so yeah there's going to be a lot of shuffling and cleveland is a team that has always gotten pretty creative around the trade deadline um so it wouldn't surprise me either at the deadline or in the early off season here to see them making some weird looking trades that are kind of motivated by that roster crunch um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's a great catch by you and i think it could definitely have a, a massive impact on the deadline coming up yeah. So, um, I, you know, I think it's worth keeping an eye on. So we've made all those adjustments down for guys who are in these sort of lower tiers who are Rule 5 eligible, because I think they're going to be the ones most likely to be impacted. Um, but we've also made some adjustments into the minors in general and these sort of middle and upper tiers based on performance. Some some guys are performing well and, you know, their stock has risen. Some guys are not performing well and their stock has fallen. Is Good segue into Mackenzie Gore of the Padres, who used to be one of the top prospects in baseball. He's having a horrible year. Um, and the statistics reflect that. Scouting reports I'm seeing uh, are also reflecting that. He's lost velocity, apparently. Can't find the strike zone still. You know, control's always been an issue. So now you got a guy who's throwing 89-90 and can't find the strike zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, scouts are saying he's not the same pitcher as he was two, three years ago. So um, so what that means is the Padres, who may be aggressive buyers, uh, what do they have to sell um, from their farm? It's getting kind of slim pickings. Um, C.J. Abrams is probably still untouchable, but he's also hurt. Um, Gore is maybe a falling knife nobody wants to touch. Um, you know, Robert Hassel is still young, but they may want to, he may be their only best trade chip. Camposano still has some interest, but, you know, uh, there's some questions around him. He hasn't done, he hasn't looked that great. Um, so you got to wonder what Preller has to work with if he wants to make a major move given these, given he doesn't, you know, and there's a big drop off after after those top guys, then you're into like the twos and because Padres have sold most of the other guys in the past uh, with all the trades they made before this. So it actually, the market, the, um, the cupboards are starting to look a little bare for the Padres. And I don't know what Preller is going to do if he wants to upgrade, maybe another starting pitcher, maybe a, a first baseman. Um, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah. And <laughs> we're talking about teams that like to get creative. Padres are probably, 
tied at the top of that list with the Rays. And so if there's anyone who can get something done with a weird farm system, it, it is Preller and the Padres, and, and it probably helps a little bit that they don't necessarily have as many holes as the average team does. But they do... The starting pitching is looking a little thin, despite all the all the work they did on it last off season. You know, yeah. injuries and underperformance. It, it's <laughs> Lamette is looking like he might just be a reliever if he can stay on the field at all. I mean, it, it, the the increased workload might just be too much for him. And I mean, Paddock's been a mess. Yeah, Darvish has been good. Snell has been kind of what he was. What he's been of of being a five or six inning five inning pitcher six innings tops and in some days he'll be good some days he won't. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a bit of a rough situation in their rotation. So if there was a spot for them to upgrade, it's that one. And the natural fit is Max Scherzer. But mm-hmm. are the Nationals gonna set? We've we've had all these discussions a lot. I mean, <laughs> we we've gone in depth on Max Scherzer and how complicated that is. Uh, but if there is a point in their favor, it's that, you know, maybe the prospect cost isn't as high for a Max Scherzer as it would be for a Barrios or someone else along right. those lines, because <clears throat> it is just a rental. And so while you don't have this, while, while your farm is kind of in a weird spot, maybe that's more along the lines of what you're looking at of, of Scherzer or someone in that kind of rental tier below him. Yeah, and maybe you can take on some salary because your mm-hmm. owner knows you're going to go for it, and so you might as well. And maybe so it's a. I can see John Gray fitting in there. Yeah, um, you Is know, as a fourth starter, he's still not, uh, <laughs> but I think he's close to coming back. I believe. Okay. Um, Matthew Boyd, maybe if he comes back, similar uh, category there. Although he has an extra year control, which I think Preller likes. Um, but you know, his stock has fallen a little bit since he got injured. So um, you know, I think. I think what they want, probably want is a healthy, reasonably effective fourth starter to plug in after Darvish, Musgrove, and Snell. Mm-hmm. And um, so they can probably shop in that category and not pay too much in prospect capital unless they want to dangle Robert Hassel, who I think we have around 25. And then they can get shop in the, you know, shop in the Tiffany's range for the higher end guys. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be very interesting, though, because I don't think they have as much to work with. I think their hands are somewhat tied in terms of their their tradable capital. Quick correction. John Gray is healthy, and he has been for a couple weeks now. Okay. And his last start was six innings of one-run ball with seven strikeouts against the Padres. That's right. I do remember that now. Okay, so yeah. that's good. So he's uh, he's ready, ready to go, I think, to mm-hmm. somebody. <clears throat> and the name that's always, just as, as a bit off topic here, the name that's always connected to john gray in my mind is houston they we we know how houston fixes pitchers or at least they did with sticky stuff so who knows if they can do it without but uh he's always seemed like a pretty natural fit there because he's always been one of those you know one tweak away kind of guys and they're the one tweak away team and they need starting pitching and he's a rental and i it, it makes a lot of sense to me but uh, who knows what? Who knows if the Rockies trade anyone at this point? Yeah, right. So, um, and then the last point is, I think we're gonna do one more round of updates. So you'll see some numbers change uh, as we get closer to the deadline. I know a lot of people are looking at things and thinking that's the that's the final price, but you, they will change again as things mm-hmm. get uh, closer. So we might find ourselves in in quite a pickle, <laughs> crunching mm-hmm. numbers and things are happening around us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah realistically the values change every day yeah but 
since it, since it is a manual process, we can't exactly do that. This is this is not a full time job for either of us, um, and we we can't be coming in here every day and updating every player. So we do typically do it at the at the beginning of each month slash end of the previous month, however you want to look at that. Um, but we are going to be doing one more round before the deadline here to account for both performance during the first few weeks of July, as well as adjusting um, the amount of time remaining on players' contracts. You know, if, if mm-hmm. trading for Jock Peterson today gives you two and a half months of control this season, plus potentially October, although I, I don't think he got the October bonus because he's not that quality of player. Um, so that's two and a half months versus trading for mm-hmm. him on the 30th is two months. And so we need to make that adjustment as well in addition to the performance updates. So yes, we will have another round of that coming up right around the corner here. Yeah. So if you see something change, that's why you might say, Hey, that guy was at 18 and now he's at 40. That's why. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we hope shouldn't be anything too drastic. Right. <laughs> uh, unless, unless anyone just comes out of the all-star break here on fire or, has a couple real bad starts or something along those lines, but uh, for the most part, it shouldn't be anything too drastic. And uh, so, so we're hoping that if any more deals are completed within the next week or so before we get to those, um, they should still be reasonably within the range of uh, of what we have on the site right now. Yeah, I mean, one exception I can think of is Aroldis Chapman, who's been terrible mm-hmm. the last few. Uh, weeks actually, um, mm-hmm. so he's gone from a positive to a negative, um, and that contract hasn't moved all that much. So that's not good. But so we will look for cases like that. But to your point, mm-hmm. most of them are going to be still reasonably close to where they are now. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, touch on today? I think we're good. All right. We we hit a whole lot of different topics in this one. Uh, maybe a little less structured than usual, but I think it was—I think it was a fun time, and it, it went a lot faster than it didn't feel like we've been talking for almost 90 minutes. But I guess I guess time flies when we're talking about baseball. <laughs> Five minutes on Kyle Hendricks, though. That's but that's worth it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was worth it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at BaseballTradeValues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at BaseballValues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We will be back next week to break down the latest news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.